Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in today for Mina Kim. This hour, it's kind of a silver lining for the coronavirus pandemic, falling rents in places like San Francisco and Los Angeles. As working from home frees up employees to basically live anywhere they can find internet access, vacancy rates are rising, putting renters in the driver's seat, at least for now. We'll examine the implications of a housing market transformed by illness. Then surging COVID-19 rates in California prisons. What's behind the rise in rates after the State Department of Corrections seemed to get the situation under control after earlier outbreaks? That's next on Forum after this news. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer here today for Mina Kim. Later in the hour, we'll be talking about the rising rates of COVID-19 in prisons throughout the state. But we begin with another impact of the pandemic, falling rents. Since January, rents in San Francisco have dropped by nearly 22 percent, according to the website Apartment List. With workers free to work from home, they're finding housing options outside the city that are a lot less expensive. It's also true in Los Angeles, although the drop in average rents there has been much smaller. Joining us now to talk about this new dynamic in the housing market are Erin Baldessari, KQED housing reporter. She's also co-host of the podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. Erin, good to have you. Scott, great to be here. And also joining us, Igor Popov. He's chief economist for the apartment list. Uh, welcome to you as well. And let me begin with you, Igor. What is the overall trend or trends that you're seeing, not just in the Bay Area and Los Angeles, but, uh, you know, into the suburbs uh, east of those counties? Absolutely, Scott. Well, thank you for having me. Um, you know, the pandemic has really turned California's housing market on its head. Um, the last 10 years, leading into uh, this wild 2020 we're in have been really all about the expensive places getting more expensive, right? San Francisco rents were soaring, Los Angeles rents were soaring, and every renter seemed to want to be close to the action. Companies were clustering and there were there was a huge premium on proximity and these big cities were really leading the pack in terms of rent growth. And now all of a sudden you you fast forward to March 2020, a lot of the benefits of of being in our big California cities you know, essentially disappeared overnight and really changed what renters were looking for. So the result has really been precipitous rent drops in the biggest 
job centers throughout California. Um, but not all places have seen have seen falling rents. A lot of the suburbs and a lot of the inland metros are actually really heating up as people look for more affordable options and for more space. So I think it's really a tale of two Californias right now in the rental market. Yeah. And Aaron, how much of it would you say is people thinking, well, look, I'm not working at all or I'm not working full time. I can't afford to live in this place that has high rents versus people just thinking, you know, I can live anywhere I want. So I want to go somewhere that's quieter, less stressful, maybe uh, easier to avoid the coronavirus. Uh, you know, uh, why live in a city when you can take advantage of, you know, a more rural or whatever it is you're looking for that isn't, uh, isn't a city? How, much, how, how do you, you know, break those two factors out? You know, I think that's a huge part of it. I just said goodbye to two dear friends of mine who moved uh, to North Carolina. And, you know, their reasoning was exactly that, that why pay big city prices when you can't enjoy the big city benefits of going to restaurants and bars and clubs and, you know, music. Um, so they were looking for a more, um, you know, uh, a place where they could spread out a little bit, um, take advantage of more space, uh, maybe have a garden. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing that we're seeing is a consolidation of households. So you have folks, especially Gen Zers, that 18 to 25 cohort who moved back with parents. Um, another person I talked to did exactly that. He had been in San Francisco for a couple years, moved back to um, Ohio, uh, where he's from, and uh, was just, you know, able to take advantage, you know, he was able to work remotely. So he said, you know, why don't I just save some money and not pay these, you know, San Francisco rents uh, while I can still earn a San Francisco income? Um, yeah. and, and, and in terms of the people you've mentioned, your friends included who moved to North Carolina, I mean, is, do you get the sense that they're gone? Or, you know, are they going to come back, do you think, when things return to, you know, whatever the new normal is? Uh, you know, time will tell, right? I mean, it once you move somewhere, you get rooted there. Um, but they definitely have a sense that they want to come back to the Bay Area. Um, this other tenant I talked to in San Francisco, you know, he's planning to move back in a year when work from, you know, he, his company is allowing him to work from home through July. And uh, he is planning to come back after that. So we might see, you know, a return to cities once uh, the, you know, city amenities return. Um, and I think you're starting to see that a little bit with home prices, right? So while property values were, have been rising pretty steadily in, in suburbs and rural areas throughout the pandemic, they were dropping in cities and now they're kind of coming back up. Um, and so folks are kind of thinking about investing in cities again. Um, but you're also seeing folks look for larger apartments in cities. So more of the two bedroom, three bedroom apartments. Hmm. You can get more for your money now. One beds. Yeah. And, and Igor, when you look at uh, the Bay Area or San Francisco versus LA, why uh, is the, the dip in rent so much more precipitous here in the Bay Area? Right. I think w when you look across even the whole country, not just California, the biggest predictor of how far rents have fallen has been how high were they to begin with? We're just seeing this big convergence because if if you're working um, online, if you're not able to access the jobs that require in-person communication anyways, then um, rents should sort of even out. And that's what we've been seeing them them do. San Francisco is a much smaller rental market than Los Angeles too. So um, I think some of the, the trends and factors that are driving the change has been um, just a bit more pronounced. Uh, uh, there's there's less uh, 
really just space and diversity over the types of housing options uh, in, a, in a smaller area like San Francisco to average out over. But I think one other, um, I just kind of came to mind as Aaron was talking, you know, one of the other really interesting pieces of data that we're seeing through our platform is the number of people that are requesting or looking for short-term leases is way up this year. So the you know in places like San Francisco where where rents are dropping and, and in LA where rents are dropping a lot of people are also um, signing short term leases when they're moving out which is a bit unusual uh, in in a normal year but might also signal that people aren't quite sure that they want to move away forever yet. Yeah. And, and as these rents have fallen, uh, the people who are left behind, people still living here, you know, what have they done with this new sort of leverage? I mean, have they been able to take advantage of that, uh, Igor? Uh, absolutely. We're One of the um, pieces of research we did was a survey asking essentially a simple question of has whether or not coronavirus has made someone more or less likely to move in 2020. And the responses really indicated that, you know, over a quarter of people actually said they were more likely to move this year, and they evenly split up among, you know, essentially upgrade moves and downgrade moves. Downgrade moves being, hey, this has been a rough year. I can no longer afford to live where I'm living. I'm going to move back in with family or, or find a cheaper place. And upgrade moves are, you know, there, there's this large segment of the population in places like L.A. and San Francisco who have actually... Uh, uh, fared pretty well economically throughout the pandemic, and they're starting to see deals. So they're getting that second bedroom to work out of, or or they're able to upgrade, or or some people are finally able to move into the city when they weren't before. So uh, renters are in the driver's seat for the first time in a while in in these uh, in these premier markets. And Aaron, we should say uh, that despite the drop, a rather precipitous drop. You're still high, right? I mean, when you compare what somebody pays even with the drop here in San Francisco to what people are paying around the country, because I would assume you're seeing maybe not as much, but similar kinds of uh, declines in rents in other urban areas. Uh, so it's, you know, it's all relative, but it's still expensive here. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at the median price for a one bed in San Francisco, I mean, $2,800 you know, while that's significantly lower than than what it was a year ago, you know, that's still you still need to be making ninety, a hundred thousand dollars a year if you only want to pay thirty percent of your income on rent, which is what is considered affordable, right? So there's still very high rents. And just to chime into what you know, Igor was saying, I've been talking to landlords, and you know, they've been offering rent reductions to keep tenants in place. Sometimes, you know, ten percent um, or rent deferrals. Um, you know, one landlord I talked to dropped off uh, Christmas cookies to his tenants just to show him that, you know, he appreciated them and wanted Boy, them there's to a stay. switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's hard. It's expensive, you know, and, you know, landlords are seeing a lot of turnover with folks moving out. Um, you know, one landlord I talked to said it was the highest turnover he's seen in about 30 years. Hmm. Um, and, you know, those apartments are not filling as quickly yeah. as they were before the pandemic. And we should say that, you know, not all landlords are big business people. They're not corporate, uh, uh, you know, landlords necessarily. A lot of them are fairly small business owners. And so they're probably feeling the squeeze too, right, Aaron? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, costs keep going up and, you know, uh, even just tenants using more water and you know sewage services they get higher fees from the city for those services being increased of course folks are home so they're using 
everything more. Um, and that's a huge hit. The turnover is also very expensive because anytime a tenant leaves, you have to improve the apartment. You know, you're putting in maybe new appliances or painting, um, you know, updating the HVAC systems. And all of that is costly. And it's harder right now to do that during the pandemic because it's harder for contractors to come in and you have to really stage everything so that folks are not working in the same area at the same time. Uh, so, you know, one landlord I said, talked to said that he had to take a second mortgage on his home uh, because uh, just to finance, um, you know, continued operations, because unlike a restaurant where you can, you know, you're not serving food, you're not buying food, or maybe you can furlough employees, landlords can't, you know, they have to continue to provide the same services or even more services because folks are there, more, you know, more of the time. And that all costs a lot of money. Igor, what's your sense of who is able to take advantage of this new housing market dynamic and who's not? Well, I, I think that really gets to one of the core features of, of this entire economic recovery, which is really the uneven nature of who's able to work from home and who's not able to work from home. I think that's been not surprisingly the biggest factor in who's weathered the storm fairly well versus those who have really been been struggling. And the, the unfortunate fact of the matter is it was clear even it, early in the year that this was going to break up along uh, income lines, that, that high-income uh, workers in the U.S. are just far more likely to be able to work from home. There are essentially no high-poverty occupations that can be done in a remote setting over email, and um, the, uh, the, the inequality effects of that are, are pretty staggering. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, uh, the class of workers that is fortunate to be able to take, take their work onto Zoom and email and, uh, and, and phone calls, those are the ones that are, that are able to take advantage of some of the deals right now. All right, we're going to take a short break. We want to hear from you. Have you taken advantage of falling rents by moving or renegotiating? Or do you live in a suburb or another place that uh, has been adversely affected by falling rates? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're KQED forum uh and uh i should say at kqed forum you can also email us we'll be right back support for forum comes from san francisco opera set 10 years after a school shooting the critically acclaimed opera innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. In today for Mina Kim, we're talking this segment of the hour about the changing housing market brought about by the pandemic. Our guests are Aaron Baldessari, KQED housing reporter and co-host of the podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America, and Igor Popov, chief economist for the website Apartment List. And let me ask you, Igor, um, in terms of, and this is actually a question that a listener has, and I'll just read it. Uh, she asks, or he or she asks, is this a good time to ask for a rent reduction after having been a longtime renter? We did that in 2008 when the dot-com boom busted. Uh, wh what advice do you have? Um, it certainly may be depending on, on where someone is. Again, if, uh, 
if someone is in a suburban market uh, that's inland, rents might actually be heating up. But in in some of the 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 urban areas like San Francisco, LA, San Diego, um, many people are asking for rent reductions. And I think, you know, in terms of advice, really, really two things come to mind. One is to gather the, as much data and, and and evidence as you can. There are a lot of um, uh, trackers and comparables out there that, that will help you make a stronger case uh, if there is one. And the other thing is to really be mindful of what maybe uh, the, the landlord or property manager might be getting in return. So one example that that we've heard happening fairly often is um, potentially asking for a rent reduction in exchange for signing a longer lease. So so the the renter gets um, a discount and the landlord gets some peace of mind that they won't have to fill that unit and go through the kind of costly exercise of of um, of of a turnover that that Aaron walked through. Yeah. Um, but certainly, uh, this is the first time in a while <laughs> that, it, that it may be a good time to have these conversations. And Aaron, what about uh, evictions? Because you know, a lot of folks uh, who haven't left, uh, maybe they're working, maybe they're not. But uh, you know, there are folks who are behind in their rents. I think the uh, UC Berkeley Center for Housing Innovation found that about twenty-three percent of renters have fallen behind. Um, you know, what is your sense on how at risk uh, tenants are for eviction right now? Well, luckily, there is a statewide eviction moratorium on on uh, evictions right now for non-payment of rent. Of course, you can still be evicted for health and safety concerns. And we have seen, you know, landlords elevate uh, sort of minor nuisances to health and safety concerns to try to evict te- uh, tenants. But that's something that we're absolutely hearing right now, that that there is this huge concern that uh, once these eviction moratoriums expire, that we will see a tsunami of evictions, a huge wave of evictions happening. And that could be really bad for also, you know, property owners um, who, um, you know, aren't able to to pay their mortgages. But um, the, you know, the other thing that we've been hearing and seeing is that there have been illegal evictions happening. Um, so, uh, you know, places out in, in Concord, for example, I talked to one tenant whose landlord you know, has tried to evict him. Um, he was able to get legal help and fight that eviction. This was an eviction that was happening outside of the court process um, and, and you know, illegal. But so he's he's been able to remain in place. But that's something that is happening. It, it particularly, the people who are most vulnerable are often people who are non-English speakers who may not have access to the same uh, information or that information is harder to find. Uh, in terms of what their protections are, um, and then you know domestic violence situations, um, you know where, where folks uh, are having to to leave because of an unsafe situation, um, and you know people who are just more precariously housed or maybe have an informal sort of uh, you know a relationship with their landlord um, and feel like they can't fight an eviction. Um, yeah. So that's definitely a concern that we're already seeing, and we're very concerned that. We're going to see more of that 
uh, in the next couple months. Absolutely. I'm going to go to the phones in just a second. Let me remind you, if you'd like to join our conversation about the changing housing market uh, due to the pandemic, if maybe you have uh, taken advantage of falling rents, maybe you've left the area or you've moved within the Bay Area or Southern California, give us a call. Tell us about it. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you like, you can email us as well. It's forum at kqed.org. Let's go now to Oakland. Uh, you're first. Oh, hi. Yeah, go right ahead. Um, I I live in Oakland. I've been here for 20 years. It's the place that I'm happiest on earth. And I've traveled a lot and lived in many different places. Um, I'm currently living in um, in an apartment it's in Temescal, right near MacArthur Bart. A very old building, and I'm paying $1,800, and thank God I have rent control. But what I've witnessed, and it's kind of disheartening, is all the people that are leaving San Francisco are coming into Oakland because they want a yard, and they want to have a dog, and they want to have access to all these great outdoor parks and the lake. But rents are going to going up to like three, three, five, three, eight, four thousand two hundred. I saw today. Mm. And for people who are barely getting by on $50,000 a year in Oakland, we are getting pushed out. And if I wanted to go somewhere, I honestly don't know where I'd go. Um, Mm. There's no other place in the world I'd be so happy as I am in (laughs) Oakland. And Hard to um, put a price on that, isn't it? Yeah, and, and people are seeing the magic. And, you know, I'm lucky because I'm a little bit older and I don't have a lot of debt. But for working class families, I don't see how Oakland is going to stay so beautiful. I mm. think it's going to turn into a little microcosm version of San Francisco, but everyone's working from their home mm. and paying San Francisco prices in an Oakland community that is going to change drastically. Yeah. And I'm really scared. Yeah, well, I, I, good luck. I hope you're able to hold on. But Erin, you know, she re- brings a, up a, a several good points. Uh, one, of course, the impact uh, in a place like Oakland, but uh, also families. I mean, we're, we're, I think we're folk, when we think about renters, that we often think about people who are, you know, living with roommates, but there's a lot of of course, families that are renting as well. And when you have to, you know, consider moving uh, in that kind of a situation, you got to think about schools and all kinds of other considerations. It's very complicated. Absolutely. And I think this is why folks are sort of fearing a second wave of gentrification. You know, I've talked to tenant advocates and people who advocate for low-income renters. And, you know, the very same properties that are so desirable right now, the two, three, four bedroom uh, places where people can have their home offices and kind of spread out a little bit, um, those are the most, you know, apt for families, the most appropriate for families. And so, you know, people who had been displaced from places like San Francisco or other core cities and had moved out to Oakland or further off to Concord, Antioch, Richmond, are now seeing more pressure from rising rents um, as this desire for more space mounts. And so that's also a a real concern and a real trend that we're seeing. Igor, do you see the same thing down in Southern California, say east of LA in the Inland Empire, San Bernardino and Riverside counties? Uh, Absolutely. Those markets are are really heating up and drawing a lot of eastward migration from from LA. And then, you know, you, you go up the five by the time you're in, you know, Bakersfield, Fresno, you're seeing 6% rent increases from the start of the pandemic, which which is a huge number uh, just within the course of the year. So I think the 
the other thing to note is these these submarkets are extremely important. It may we're talking about these citywide stats, but as 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 the the listener mentioned and as Aaron mentioned, these particular units might get you know priced very differently as as people are shifting their priorities and and a lot of people are getting lucky and a lot of people are getting unlucky because it means all of a sudden people want uh, the the type of housing that that they have had and all of a sudden it's getting more expensive. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck to you in Oakland. Hope you're able to stay in your dream community there. Let's go now to the phones. And Stephen is next and uh, happens to be the mayor of Cupertino. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we sure can. Right. Well, I'm there for two more days anyway. <laughs> but what we've, seen in Cooper, what we've seen in Cupertino is even pre-pandemic was falling rents and a lot of tech workers moving out to areas where they can have a house with a yard, as the person from Oakland mentioned. And because of the falling rents, we are not seeing property owners who have approved projects moving forward with their new projects. And when we don't get those new projects, we're not getting our inclusionary below market rate housing that is a required part of those projects. So we're actually going to start losing affordable housing as some of these below market rate units reach their expiration dates. And yeah, it's a real problem and the state is not coming forward with uh, funding for affordable housing. The loss of redevelopment was a big uh, a big negative in terms of cities being able to construct housing for um, those of lower income. So I wonder what the hosts can talk about in terms of how we can get more funding to build more uh, low-income housing. Thank mm. you. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, Aaron, do you want to tackle that one? Of course, one thing we should point out that this could be a very short-lived trend, right? I mean, we're hoping that by next year at this time, we're gonna, things are going to look very differently because of the vaccines. Yeah, and a lot of it is really contingent upon whether we get a second stimulus. You know, in sort of a off-the-record conversation with folks in the governor's office, you know, they're really looking to the federal government for additional funding. And I think a lot of, you know, states across the country and, and you know, uh, municipal governments across California, you know, California can't dip into uh, debt uh, to to create more economic growth like the federal government can. And so they're really looking to the federal government for another stimulus, one, to prevent this eviction tsunami that we're expecting to keep people in place, to prevent more homelessness, which we're very concerned about, and also to continue to build affordable housing because we know that during a recession, it's the best time for governments to build affordable housing. That's when costs are lowest and you can get the most bang for your buck. And it creates jobs. So it's a really good policy in terms of both creating jobs and creating affordable places for people to live. But you need the money to do that. And so, you know, we're really looking to the federal government to see what happens there. Yeah. Although, as you know, better than most, uh, the problems with lack of affordable housing in California, yes, there's housing, there's uh, the funding, but there's also all kinds of other obstacles, uh, that things that make housing just more expensive here, even if it is uh, supposed to be affordable housing. There is some good news this morning, which is that there appears to be a group of bipartisan lawmakers in Washington who are pushing for kind of a middle ground stimulus between what the House wants and what the Senate was willing to do. So maybe, uh, maybe some of those funds will be forthcoming. Let's go back to the phones and we go down to Redlands, California. Donna, welcome. Oh, 
uh, hello? Yeah, you're on. Welcome. Oh, well, thank you for taking my call. I am a landlord, and I uh, have some apartments, and I just want to point out that there's a sort of stereotypical view of landlords where as sort of Ebenezer Scrooge uh, type people, and that's not true. We have a lot of people that try very hard to pay even part of their rent, even when they fall a little bit upon hard times, and we've worked with those people for years. Before COVID, when people have some economic problems and can't pay Mm -hmm. the full rent every time. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, now what part of what is happening is the people who still have their jobs and uh, still going out to work or getting their unemployment insurance, they, they just are taking advantage of this particular period. This is not the majority. This is only a few. But a it only takes a few because every month I still have to pay the bank. The bank is not giving me any break on my mortgage or yeah. or giving me a period when I don't have to pay it. And so I, it's like dominoes. These things back up. Yeah. And I think a, a full blanket moratorium on evictions is um, going to create a real problem. Yeah, and you're in Redlands, which is what, San Bernardino County? Are you seeing, what, what kind? Of, what's the dynamic you see there with rents? I, I oh, I need to um, correct an impression. I don't have property in this county. It's it's elsewhere. Oh, okay. I did have okay. for many years, and, yeah. and because of the laws in California, very uh, pro-tenant and anti-landlord, um, we we did some changing, but I still own apartments. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for pointing out uh, the nuances of uh, of landlords. Obviously, you can't uh, paint everybody with the same brush. Donna, thanks so much for the call. Um, and let me um, let me talk. Let me, let me ask you, Aaron. Um, what what are you seeing in terms of um, the ability of of landlords to you know sort of work with tenants. I mean, are you hearing that that's happening? That I mean, there is this eviction uh, moratorium right now, so maybe they don't have to do that. But you know, uh, to to the caller's point, I mean, it, it, is there a lot of negotiating going on? Absolutely. You know, in conversations that I've had with landlords in Oakland and the LA area, you know, they both say that they're working with tenants to defer rent to reduce rent. In some cases, landlords are keeping apartments vacant longer because they're being a little bit more choosy with tenants. I think we could, you know, there might be some longer term ramifications of that in terms of, you know, uh, folks not getting into places um, that they need to be. But, you know, there was also a a study, I think, that Zillow did looking at about a third of of landlords offering concessions to uh, tenants to keep people in place. So there's certainly a lot of negotiation that is happening out there. Um, And, you know, obviously um, people, you know, offering, landlords offering a couple months of free rent, um, other types of amenities, some of that is working. Uh, So we'll see how it goes. It seems like right now the the rent decreases that we've been seeing have been lessening uh, month over month, so it seems to be kind of evening out. I think maybe Igor could talk, kind of talk about the the way the that you know, it, we might be seeing like a, a flattening a little bit of this free fall. Um, so we'll see as we continue whether these concessions continue mm-hmm. um, and whether they end up 
being sort of long-term uh, rent reductions or whether they're temporary. Yeah, getting to the end of this segment, but let me see if I can squeeze one more caller in and Louise in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment uh, to your earlier caller about, um, I'm a small, first of all, I'm a small property owner in San Francisco and have definitely been getting requests for rent reductions, which I've been trying to work with my tenants to do that um, in exchange for um, an extended lease. And I'm finding that that tenants are pushing back saying, no, I don't want to sign a lease for you. Uh, So it's, you know, there is a domino effect in that um, giving rent reductions is one thing, but then to to ask for a little bit of security to have the tenant stay on, uh, I find that I'm getting a lot of pushback from people not wanting to uh, cooperate and, and go with signing a lease along with getting the rent reduction. So I just wanted to put that out there. It's not always easy, and it it really is difficult for the small property owner. Yeah, Louise, thanks so much for the call. I can imagine people being reluctant to make a long-term commitment as the economy is still pretty shaky, too. Maybe they're not quite sure they're going to have a job in six six months. Uh, We're short on time, but uh, let me just ask you uh, real quickly, Igor, are we also seeing a shift downward in costs for buying a home, or is it it not really being affected by the pandemic the way rents are? They're really on different trajectories right now. I think the the for-sale market, there's just such little inventory. And so few people, with all the uncertainty in the economy, are are willing to put their home on the market and move, especially uh, those people that are are holding on to homes that, that might be affordable for many first-time home buyers. So uh, in, in many markets throughout California, for the homes for sale are actually getting pricier just because there's so, the, the inventory is so tight. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's And that's, of course, a long-term, uh, long-standing problem in California. I'm going to have to stop you there because we are out of out of time. Igor Popov, Chief Economist for the website Apartment List. Thanks so much for joining us. As well to Aaron Baldessari, KQED housing reporter, co-host of the podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. Thanks to both of you. We're going, to take a, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking about the surge of COVID-19 in prisons. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.